Good evening. Good evening. A special thank you to Rem Michal and uh, Judy Kaiser for sponsoring tonight's shear. The shear is sponsored Lilui Nishmas, Mrs. Kaiser's mother, Chaya Miral Bas Rabbi Chil Hakohen, her neshama should have an aliyah. One of the most iconic aspects of every Jewish wedding is the breaking of the glass. And that's something, um, even in many circles, where a lot of the more traditional or halachic aspects of the chuppah may not be maintained, the breaking of the glass is something that everybody does. Now, where does that come from? So I think most of us would assume that it's based on Zeichel Lechorben, incorporating some level of uh, recognition that although, Baruch Hashem, this is a very joyous time, and people are besimcha, but Yerushalayim should always be a focus, the realization that the world is not where it could and should be. So uh, we incorporate some level of, of recognition that we still have Yerushalayim that needs to be built, Mashiach needs to come. And this is pretty much what the Ramah writes. In Shulchan Aruch, the Shulchan Aruch speaks about the custom of placing some ashes on the head of the chasen, where the tefillin goes. And then the Ramah adds, this is Ramah both in Yeridea, in Evan Ezer rather, and Orachayim. He says, Yesh mekomo shenagu lishbur kos acher sheva brachos. You have some places where they have the custom to break a glass after sheva brachos, at the very end of the chuppah ceremony. And this is the custom here in our land. And this is something that most people don't do. The chassan breaks the glass, but what glass does he break? The same one they use for berchas erisin. So now, usually we have it all set up beforehand, and you have a glass or a light bulb. Those are easier to break. Right, one of the most embarrassing experiences with the chassan's there for like five minutes, you know, and, and, and the band's waiting to play, but nothing is happening. It's all wrapped up beforehand, ready to be broken at the end of Sheva Brachos. The Ramah brings this in in a conversation that's uh, all part of Chorben Beis HaMikdash, bringing in some level of, of healthy awareness that the world is not where it, where it should be. Does it make a difference what kind of kli is broken? We break glass. How about uh, pottery? Does it make a difference? So there's a, a comment of the Chassam Sofer and others where he writes, it should dafka be glass because glass is something where even once it's broken, it could be melted together again and made anew. Not in the same way. That's why, interestingly, there's a, an obligation to tovel glass. Really, the Torah obligation of tevilas kalim is only for metal uh, kalim. But because glass is similar to metal in the sense that it could be melted down and reconstructed, there's a chiyuv derabonin to tovel glass kalim. So because, says the Chassam Sofer, although we're breaking the glass, we also want to have a little bit of this allusion to the fact that, that there is a, a future there is a future being marames to the geula, the redemption of the future. That's why you should only use glass 
and not, uh, not other material. The Mishnah Bura says that's also why we break something um, right after the reading of the Tanaim. You have the two mothers, the mother of the Chassid, mother of the Kala. Generally, for some strange reason, it's a plate. And I'm not sure why they do that, because it never actually breaks. Right? Recently, they've invented this thing where you have a hammer, but you want to make the hammer look nice, so you tie a little bow around the hammer, and then you break it with the hammer that has a bow on it. And that's very festive. Now, I'm not sure why we do a plate. We should do glass for that also, based on the chasam sofer. But the Mishnah Baruch says the same reason you break a glass after the Sheva Brachos is why you break a glass uh, after the reading of the Tanayim. Now, where does this all come from? So where would you look in the Shulchan Aruch to find out the source of the Halacha? You would look at one of two places. Either the Ber HaGola, Ramosha Rivkish, they approached him in the 1500s basically saying, we have this beautiful Shulchan Aruch, but we need you to help us. He was a master of, of the Kiyas. He knew everything. Can you please write on the side where all of the Halachas come from in the Gemara? And that's what he did. Or you would take a look in the Bir HaGra, right? the explanation of the Vilna Gon, and he always quotes the sources of the Halacha. So in his usual, very concise fashion, all he writes is, take a look at Tosvos and Brachos and Daf Lamed Aleph. So what is the Gemara and Brachos talking about over there? It's actually analyzing a Pasuk that was composed by David Melech in Tehillim. Gilu Berada, you should rejoice in your trembling. Bemakom Gila Shom Tehei Rada, the Gemara expounds upon that that in a place of celebration, there should also be a sense of rada, some level of, of reverence. It shouldn't be purely joyous uh, as we're in Gullus. And then it quotes the following story. Rav Ashi made a wedding for his son. During the wedding, some of the, uh, the yeshiva guys were getting a little bit rowdy and drinking too much, and the shtick in the middle was getting a little bit uh, obnoxious. So what did he do? He takes a beautiful, very expensive white crystal and he smashes it in the middle of the party. And you could imagine his son was mortified. Dad, <laughs> you have to be so aggressive. Why? But he did that. And for what purpose? Because Gila Berada, whenever there's real, almost unfettered celebration, there has to be some some uh, allusion to the fact that the world is not perfect yet. Tosvos there says, Mikan, from this story, from this Gemara, Nogu lishbar zechuches benesuin, we have the custom of breaking a glass by the chuppah. Okay. So that's what most of us assume, and this is obviously very well sourced. This is the, the Pashib shot uh, as to why we break the glass. Now there is a question though. Question is, when do we break the glass and what is the context of, of that Shvira Sakos? If this was really only about a Zeicher Lechorben, it should be somewhat somber, it should be a moment of reflection, a moment of silence. What ends up happening, right? This is the very conclusion of the Chuppah, 
And then the rabbi makes the, the age-old joke that goes back as many years as the, the custom of breaking the glass, right? This is the last time you're going to be able to put your foot down. And everybody still laughs. And then the chassan smashes the glass, and what happens? Everyone starts dancing and singing and mazel tov. So the first chief, the first Svartic chief rabbi of Israel, once it was officially declared a state in 1948, Harav Ben-Sion Meir Chai Uziel, he was very upset with this custom. He writes that for some reason, we the Jewish people have taken a beautiful minig, bringing into the focus the Chorben Beis HaMikdash, and we've transformed it into something that's so far away removed from the, the original intent. The chosin is dores bekoach. The, the, the chosin mamish, you know, smashes the, this glass into many pieces, and then everyone starts to sing, Simen tov, mazel tov. mikra sheni nimza bechasunos. Every time I find myself at a wedding, and I'm sure he went often being the chief rabbi, <coughs> And I see this custom where the chassan smashes the glass and everyone starts singing. I am so pained. This is not what it's meant to be. However, I hold myself back from saying anything because if I say anything, they're not going to listen anyway. So let them do it. But it pains me greatly. Now, although Rabbi Zila was paid by this custom, throughout the Jewish world, it's still done like this. So I'd like to explain another angle, right, another perspective, as to why breaking the glass is not only, only a, a focus on Chorben, but there could be something else there. It is a somber moment, we can't deny that, but there could be a different element of celebration that would at least help us understand why we do it the way we do it. The wedding ceremony itself, the Tashbat writes, that all of the different customs we have during, before, after the chuppah, all of these customs are based on replicating Maimid Har Sinai. And he goes through so many different facets and nuances of the minhagim of the chuppah. So just like there is an erisin, there is a, a wedding that took place between Kalal Yisrael and Hashem during Maimed Har Sinai. So whatever happened there, we're trying to bring into this microcosm of a chuppah, the wedding between Chassid and Kala. The marshal also takes this approach and he says that many of the, the customs we have during the chuppah are all trying to like relive Maimed Har Sinai. And he writes at the very top of page two, V'dugma lamatan Torah she'kadosh baruchu kidesh li'yisrael b'kedushay Torah. Hashem was mekadesh, the Jewish people, through the Torah. We say the Torah is marasha, but really the Gemara tells us, al tikri marasha ala marasa, the Torah was actually our erison to Hashem. V'anan alahar ke'ein chuppah. The cloud was over the mountain like a chuppah. Yeah, good kasha, good kasha. Okay, 
There's Nesuin also. Where does the Nesuin take place? But there are many things we do that are replicating Maimed Har Sinai. Then he says something incredible. The glass that we break underneath the chuppah. So yesh omrim zecher le'avelos Yerushalayim. Some explain that's to remember the mourning over Yerushalayim. Kolomar gila just like the Gemara tells us, in a place of joy you have to bring in some level of reverence, like the story of Rav Ashi and his son's wedding. But then the Marshal offers another interpretation. He says, But if you really want to incorporate the overall theme of the Chuppah, that it's all about Maimed Har Sinai, The breaking of the glass is actually a way of remembering that original Kedushin that took place between Klal Yisrael and Hashem. Shemoshe Shiber Esaluchos. When Moshe broke the tablets, that's what we're trying to, to emulate by breaking the glass. And the truth is, the Marshal is not the first one to say this. We find this in the Rebbeinu Bachaya, in the Rishonim, this idea that breaking the glass is somehow being barames, it's, it's symbolic of Moshe breaking the Luchos. What does that mean and what is that doing in the Chuppah ceremony? Right? The Chassan's breaking the Luchos. What is the message for Chassan and Kala? How does that relate to like tying in to the whole idea of a Kedushin? Right? Generally, the assumption is that the, the relationship between husband and wife is a caveat. It's a, it's a training ground to enhance one's relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And that's why we have these similarities. There's a parallel. But the breaking of the luchos, how does that fit in with the marriage ceremony? Why does that belong under the chuppah? So I want to explore what the marshal is telling us, deeper meaning behind the breaking of the glass. The Gemara tells us that in order for someone to receive prophecy, they have to have a few uh, characteristics. Gibor, Oshir, Chacham, Va'anov. You have to be strong, wealthy, wise, and humble. And each one needs to be understood and explained. But they're all learned out from Moshe. Moshe had all four of his qualities and he was able to receive prophecy. Where did he get his wealth from? If you recall, he wasn't involved with getting all of the spoils of Egypt, right? He was taking care of the Atmos Yosef. Where did he get his wealth from? So the Gemara says, he was an Oshir based on Psalach. When Hashem said, Psalacha, you should carve out the Luchos. We're going to see in a moment, right? This is referring to the, the second tablets, where after breaking the first, now Moshe has to carve out his own tablets. The Gemara says this language of, of carving out can also be a way of, of referring to psolis, like the leftovers. He got wealthy from the leftovers of the stone that he was carving out. That was the Ashirus of Moshe Rabbeinu. That's a very strange Gemara also. Right? Hashem could have probably orchestrated many ways to make Moshe a wealthy man. What does it mean that he became wealthy through 
the, the leftovers as he was carving out the tablets for the second luchos. I want to explore that Gemara also. The first luchos are described, obviously, as supernatural. The luchos themselves were created by Hashem. They were the handiwork of God, so to speak. And the writing was etched on the luchos. And then we know the story continues and Moshe comes down. He sees the chet of the Egel Hazov and he chooses to destroy the luchos. Then eventually Hashem tells him, okay, you should carve out two tablets just like the first ones. And then I will write on those tablets the same thing I had on the first tablets, the ones that you broke. What was the difference between the first tablets and the second tablets? Right? So, okay, the first ones were totally the, the handiwork of the divine, and the second ones required Moshe's involvement to actually carve out the luchos. But the Gemara in Erevin says there's actually a massive, a massive change in the entirety of the world and our connection and relationship with Torah between the first luchos and the second luchos. The Gemara says in Erevin, that if Moshe never broke the first luchos, lo luchos rishonos, lo Torah Yisrael, we would never forget Torah. And the way the commentators understand this is that you would learn something, you would understand it yourself, it would become part of you, you'd be transformed by that kedusha, and it would never leave. Right? We would all be extremely well-versed in the Chachmas HaTorah. Furthermore, if the first Luchos were never broken, Ein kol behem, there would be no nation in the entire world who would be able to, to take control over Klal Yisrael. So we would be these massive Torah scholars connected with Hashem and Torah learning, and it sounds like there wouldn't be any anti-Semitism. The other nations of the world wouldn't have the power to, uh, to persecute us. So when Moshe broke those first luchos, that was a pretty bold move. It was a pretty bold move. Was Hashem okay with his decision? So we know that he was. Did Moshe ask Hashem first before breaking the tablets? By the way, I understand that this might be a very risky thing to do right now because it's going to change the whole world forever. Should I do this? He didn't ask that Shiloh. But rather he was so convinced that this was the right thing to do. On his own he decided, I'm going to smash the luchos. And the Gemara tells us this is actually one of three things that Moshe Rabbeinu decided on his own without asking Shaila to Hashem. And Hashem was masking, Hashem agreed. How do we know Hashem agreed? So it's based on the Pasuk where Hashem says, carve out the second tablets for yourself. I'm going to write down the same words that were in the first Luchos. Asher Shibarta, the ones that you broke. Explains the Gemara in Shabbos, Asher Shibarta, 
Yashar kochacha sheshibarta. Shkoyach for breaking those luchos. So Hashem was giving him his thumbs up. Right? Now it's time for the second round. This is what you need to do. But you should know, by the way, although it was bold, that was a good move. Shkoyach for breaking those luchos. So Hashem was okay with Moshe breaking the luchos. Why would Moshe break the luchos? And this is a question, if you think about it carefully, it's very difficult. Klal Yisrael is sinning. And we're not going to get involved with what exactly that mistake was with the Egel Hazov. It was not old-fashioned about Azara. It was much more subtle. They were in a state of panic. They were anxious. And whatever their different cheshbonos were, they made a big mistake. Why in the world would you, Moshe Rabbeinu, assume that now it would make sense to destroy the Torah and hope to get something back in the future? If you have Jews that are sinning, you have Jews that are off the derech, so obviously they're not ready for the Torah right now. Don't smash the tablets. Don't, don't transform our whole relationship with Torah learning forever. Don't take away the protection that we now have from all of those nations that would like to devour us. Put the tablets aside. And say, gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, it was actually only gentlemen, not ladies. They weren't involved with the Egel Hazov. I have something very special for you, but this is a privilege you have to deserve. And the way you're behaving right now, I'm not going to give these to you until you're able to get back on track. And then you should work with them, you should be makarev them, and amir Hashem, as they grow and become closer to Hashem, at that point, you say, okay, now you're ready, here are the luchos. Why would you break them? Especially if you understand everything you're risking, the entire future of Kalal Yisrael. Why would you break the luchos? Not only does Hashem agree to Moshe's decision, but this seems to be the, the almost the greatest accomplishment of his life. How do we know that? And if you describe Moshe Rabbeinu, the classic is he was an Adam Mikol Adam, he was humble, he had this overwhelming sense of, of responsibility for Kalal Yisrael. He was willing to be Mosu Nefesh on behalf of the Jewish people. But what's the very last praise that the Torah gives Moshe Rabbeinu? The very last pasuk in the Torah is, U'lechol u'lechol Moshe le'ene kol Yisrael. The strong hand of Moshe. Referring to, says Rashi, that he was able to receive the luchos. Not just that he was strong, he was able to hold those massive tablets, but there is a real spiritual gevura. Le'ene kol Yisrael, in the eyes of all the Jewish people, this is the last line of the Torah. This is the last description of Moshe Rabbeinu. And what is it referring to? Says Rashi, that his spirit compelled him. Literally, it means he was uplifted to break the luchos in front of all of Klal Yisrael. And that's how we conclude the Torah. That, my friends, is Moshe Rabbeinu. He broke the luchos. So not only does Hashem agree to that very bold and risky move, and Hashem says, Shkoyach, 
well done. But this is obviously a pretty big deal. We're ending off the entire Torah and the description of Ish Moshe as the one who was able to break the Luchos. It's interesting as a couple is dating, so assuming things are going well and they're getting closer to making that decision of getting engaged and getting married, they always hear people telling them, marriage is something you have to work on consistently. A good marriage requires really putting time and energy into the relationship. And a young couple might hear that, but there's always this assumption or this voice in the back of your head, we'll be fine, we'll be okay, thank you, we'll work on it when we need to, but we're not like you guys, okay? Have you ever experienced a relationship that's meaningful without having to work on it? No, they don't really exist. The relationships that, that are easy and casual, you know, you're kind of friendly with somebody and you might play tennis with the person once in a while, but it doesn't require an effort, but it's also not that meaningful. And if I never saw you again, I wouldn't be devastated by that, right? Real relationships and a real loving marriage requires work. Rebbe Shimon Shkrap, who was the great Lamdin, the great Rosh Hashiva. He authored the Sefer Shar Yosher. In his introduction, he speaks about this whole complexity of Moshe Rabbeinu breaking the Luchos. And he has the following idea. He says, Moshe understood in the present moment where Klal Yisrael was, after having this Yerida of getting involved with the chayda of the egel hazav, for them to have anything without a melus, without the work and the effort, he was concerned their whole Judaism would just be superficial. It wouldn't penetrate the neshama, it wouldn't be transformative. And therefore Moshe understood, I need to break these luchos rishonos. I need to break the first tablets, not just because I don't think they're deserving of them. I wouldn't take away the entire Torah from the Jewish people just because they're sinning. But I do feel confident that the Torah, the way it's given right now, is no longer the right thing for the Jewish people. It won't be healthy. They're not going to put in the proper amount of emelis because they're not going to have to. It'll come easily. Their Torah learning, their Yiddishkeit, both spiritually and also physically. They're not going to have any outside pressure. It's going to be too easy, and therefore I don't see any future for the Jewish people really ascending and becoming the Am Hanivcher, the Or Lagoyim, the light onto the nations. I don't see that happening. Therefore, explains of Shem Shrap, Moshe Rabbeinu knew full well. His responsibility as a leader was, I have to get rid of these luchos. We have to have a paradigm shift here. They need a different type of relationship with the Kaddish Baruch Hu and the Torah. When Hashem says, Psal after you broke the first ones, 
you should now carve out the second ones, explains of Shimon Shkap, that wasn't just the conversation that took place between Hashem and Moshe Rabbeinu, but that was really a message for all generations to come. That psal lecha, you, meaning every one of us, we're going to have to take ownership of carving out our own luchos, of, of bringing myself to a point where my Torah is meaningful, where my relationship with the Kaddish Baruch Hu is meaningful. And according to how well you prepare your luchos, so to speak, then the michta v'lokim, the words of God, will be implanted in your soul. And the Gemara says Moshe became wealthy from the psolis, from the leftovers of the carving of the luchos. It means he himself was transformed from that, that understanding that I need to be omel, I need to put in my energy. This is not going to come easily. That gave him an ashirus, he became wealthy. Not just in a dollars and cents. But that transformed him. The Emelus, Moshe Rabbeinu understood, the effort was now needed to have any real meaningful connection. It's interesting, the Gra used to tell his uh, great disciple, Rav Chaim Volozhin, that Magidim would come to me, sometimes angels would come knocking on the door, and they would want to reveal secrets of Torah. And this is not through uh, fourth-hand information. This is Rav Chaim Velazhin himself telling us that my great Rebbe would share with me Pamim Rabos Heshkimu Lepischo, that many times Malachim would come my way wanting to share with me secrets and Kabbalah Minashemayim, to share with me the Ramazim, the Raisa, However, I never looked at them. I would never give any attention to those malachim. And there was one of the Magidim, Heftzer Bim'od, who kept on pressing me and kept on prodding and pushing, wanting to share with me. They were known as the mother-in-law malach, right? <laughs> kept on pushing, but I wouldn't even look. Why? Because, says the Gra, I had no desire to receive Torah without working for it. Because I know that if I don't work for something, it's going to be superficial. It's not going to be a Kenyan. It's not going to be part of me. And then Rechaim Elijah says, the Gra one time actually sent me to his brother, the great Rav Shlomo Zalman. And he said, please tell my brother that if any of these Magidim come to him, that he should also totally ignore them. We don't want to accept Torah from angels because then it's not a Kenyan, it's not part of me. So when the Marshal tells us that we're breaking the glass under the chuppah, we're breaking the glass under the chuppah just like Moshe Rabbeinu broke the luchos. So why did Moshe break the luchos? Not because he felt Klal Yisrael had no chance of ever coming close to God. Not because he lost his temper. Hashem was very, very pleased with his decision to the point where the last and the final praise of Moshe was, 
he was able to do this. He was able to say, I'm smashing these luchos even though the, the life that I would live personally and our entire world as a Jewish people would be a lot easier. Be a lot easier. But it's not going to be real. It's not going to be a Kenyan benefish. It's not going to be transformative. He had that insight. He had that power to break the luchos. So perhaps... When the Mashal says, everything we do under the chuppah is to replicate Maimed Har Sinai, the breaking of the glass is the exact same message. The chassan stomps down, hopefully the first try, right? Breaks the glass. What's the remiz? What's the message right there? He's saying the exact same thing as Moshe Rabbeinu. I understand that in order to have a healthy and meaningful and lasting relationship together, Chassan and Kala, it's not going to be superficial and it's not going to come easy. And that's why I'm bringing We're fully accepting and embracing the reality that in order to move weiter, to move on and build a Bayis Neman B'Yisrael, it has to be with a Melus. There has to be work, there has to be effort, there has to be energy. And that's why it's not that bad. When the chassan stomps on that glass, at that moment the band begins to play. Because it's not just a somber moment, it's something that we celebrate. That was the praise of Moshe Rabbeinu. HaKadosh Baruch Hu was celebrating Moshe's decision to break the luchos. That's part of the celebration perhaps of the chuppah itself. As they're leaving this moment, they're now officially man and wife, what better, more profound message could they walk away with then? We're destroying superficiality and we're totally embracing the idea that we're going to work together on this marriage to be able to be Zoha to build a Ba'is Neman Ba'isro. Shkoyach.